Hey, welcome to episode 60 of the Becoming Human podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Abram Dickerson. He loves wild places. He spent over 20 years hosting adventures into and around the mountains. Abram manages Aspire Adventure Running. Aspire hosts running events throughout the Northern Cascades and the wilderness in California. When I got into the outdoors, I realized that I did not have enough free time to be able to access the beautiful backcountry that was around me. And then I got into running, and I realized that I can chalk these five-day trips down into single day or two days. I can squeeze them into weekends. And Abram shares that same sentiment. It was very refreshing, whereas I come at running in a predominantly competitive perspective where I'm trying to beat my times at every race or I'm just trying to come out with a faster mile time. Abram seems to do whatever he can so that he can spend his more time in the wilderness with good friends <laughs> and pushing himself. Hey there, welcome to episode 60 of the Becoming Human podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Abram Dickerson. Abram loves wild places. He spent over 20 years hosting adventures into and around the mountains. Abram manages Aspire Adventure Running, a running event organizer that takes people into the backcountry. They explore the trails in the northern cascades and the wilderness of northern california i'm discovering that i have an affinity for the outdoors and getting to meet people like abram with such a laid-back perspective on running with the intent on just being out in the wilderness with great people it really inspires me to run just for the sake of running i come at running from a very competitive angle and it's nice to meet people who have different goals than mine it's thrilling to have the opportunity to sit down with these outdoor enthusiasts go check them out at aspireadventurerunning.com maybe book a trip Ooh, they even have people who uh who power hike through these and they're not timed events so it's more at your leisure they said that if you can keep up with i think at least a 19 minute mile uh, then you should be perfectly fine. <laughs> and we got the hats live up on the store on becominghumanpodcast.com. So if you need to hide that tinfoil hat so that you can get out to making friends again, then pick up one of our flat bills. And we got dad hats coming soon, <gasps> t-shirts, ooh, and all sorts of other fun stuff. And if you like this episode, please rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Podcast, wherever you listen to this. And enjoy yourself. Get out there, y'all. Bye. All right. So if, you, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience, Abram. Sure. Um, what is it that you do exactly? Um, <clears throat> my name's Abram. So I'm the owner and director of Aspire Adventure Running, which is a company based out of the Cascades, North Cascades, Bellingham specifically, and we organize single and multi-day running adventures. Wow. So is that like into the backcountry, like in the Cascade or 
North Cascades National Park? Like, what is the limitation of those adventures? Yeah, so, you know, we have permits for the Mount Baker Wilderness, the North Cascades National Park, uh, Mount Rainier National Park, and then we also run a trip down in Northern California on the Lost Coast Trail, which oh, is part wow. of the Kings Range and Sinkion Wilderness. So they're all they're all pretty remote kind of wilderness or backcountry kind of destinations. And then, oh, we also have permits to operate over in the Metau Valley in Ooh. the Okanagan Wenatchee National Forest. It's so. a really pretty area over there. It's a little less jungly than here. It's yeah, it's a lot drier. It's the east side of the Cascades, so you get you know more rock and more sagebrush, mm. sort of a, a kind of more open vegetation. It opens up earlier in the season. I see. And, uh, but yeah, it's a pretty spectacular country. And so when people come to these events, um, is it usually like, so it's, it's a race, right? Um, no, they're not, they're not actually races. So my background is more, I come to running from a, a background of kind of climbing, backpacking, mountaineering, alpine work. And so, um, so yeah, so there we kind of I saw a space essentially to kind of create an opportunity for people to travel through wild spaces mm. without kind of the expectation for competition. So mm. so we organize all the food and logistics and shuttles that enable people to go and travel in these places with a relative safety net, mm -hmm. and then um, yeah, so people are kind of going for the experience and being in a wild place and not for like who's getting to the end of this course the fastest. That's really interesting. I w see, I went to running with the idea, like, I'm going to get this mile time, and then I'm going to try to, you know, place within these competitions. Maybe I'll get first. Sure. And I, I quickly realized that there was a lot more to it than just, you know, placing. It, the experience of it alone, and my favorite part about um, uh, backcountry runs, mm -hmm. right, it is the adventure of it like it, sure. it, it almost reminded me of uh indiana jones tomb raider like those experiences <laughs> um, right on and but you know in my backyard literally yeah and so as a runner yourself um have you always approached running in this way or was there a pivotal moment that changed your perspective on running um no that's kind of always been my approach so so I didn't run in college. I've, you know, never been a competitive athlete or athlete, or, you know, or a competitive runner. Um, but I, but I really, I really value kind of being in the mountains and being in wild spaces, being in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, it was kind of a discovery that, you know, wow, if I have some really great fitness, then I'm in a position to cover. I can go cover 20 or 30 miles a day in the mountains. That'll get me to some really great terrain. And, uh, yeah, I've never really been concerned about being on the podium or being fastest, but definitely interested in, you know, where my legs can take me mm -hmm. into the wilderness. That makes sense. So. And that's something that I can't... That's the conclusion I came to as well, is increasing my fitness after I got through... Um, after I got through my podium phase, I suppose, sure. uh, I realized that I didn't have to take like one backpacking trip a year. I could actually run these, yeah. and, and I can see a lot more beautiful country. And I'm not trying to necessarily rush through it all, but I'm trying to get to the places that that I would rather enjoy. Right. Know? And um, so, within like as a race director, uh, how, how did you get started doing this? Is it a, was it difficult? Well, 
I mean, I have a background in experiential education, mm -hmm. um, so I've spent lots of years organizing backcountry trips for youth groups. Um, I've done some mountain guiding in my past. Um, so, you know, is it is it hard to do? I mean, it's it's not. I mean, we're not a manufacturing industry. Mm -hmm. We're not building airplanes. You know, so it's a lot easier than something like that. But there is a. I mean, there's certain steps. You know, in terms of. Um, you know, getting our, writing all of our insurance documents and risk management plans and applying for permits and, you know, and, and for what we do, there's a certain, you know, there's a certain course profile that really works well for what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of great backcountry runs, but we try and, and make it in such a way that people are running for anywhere from 12 to 30. We have some 50 mile day courses, but... Mm -hmm. There's road access, so mm -hmm. we can shuttle people's gear around and kind of overcome some of the logistical barriers. So when people are doing these these events, uh, they're not carrying any of the gear on their back. They're not rucking at all, correct? That's right. They've got a vest, you know, a light pack. Mm -hmm. You know, most people are just, can't, you know, most people have a running vest. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. And did you guys figure out the implementation of this or refine it as you went along, or did you have a pretty solid idea before you started hosting these events? I mean, it was pretty straightforward, you know, you know, there's a lot, the concept's pretty straightforward, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, well, instead of, because um, we're not creating new trails, we're not kind of creating really, you know, a race director that's putting on a traditional race, they'll say if, you know, if they're putting on a race at a state park or trail race or something, you know, like they're trying to meet a set distance, like, okay, well, how many loops do I have to do to mm -hmm. get to 50, 50K or how many out and backs to kind of connect things together to get a 25k mm -hmm. and you know our approach has been you know we're gonna we're gonna use existing trails and kind of look for a really clean line in terms mm -hmm. of like okay what's the most scenic beautiful way to cover that distance <laughs> that makes the most sense yeah and I so like some of our courses you know we use 50 milers or 50k to kind of like because that's the language that runners use mm -hmm. but you know, like our 50-mile course that we're doing this weekend is, I mean, it's technically only 47 miles. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're not going to try and tack on three extra miles for anybody just so they can get to a 50-miler. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the cleanest line that we're going to be running. That so. makes sense. And uh, so someone with very little fitness, could they do these events? Or does it require, is there a certain barrier to entry? You know, I think someone with, with uh, a relative, you know, you know, a, I mean, fitness is very relative, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, if someone can cover 12 miles in a day, they could do one of our courses. Mm -hmm. I see. So, um, you know, in general, I kind of anticipate folks are going to be traveling at anywhere between a 15 to 20 minute mile pace. Mm -hmm. um, but we've had people go faster and slower than that, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a person, there's... A lot of our courses, a person could, they could, if they were a strong hiker, you know, they could hike one of our courses and they wouldn't even have to run mm. and that'd be totally, okay. they could accomplish, they could, they could cover that distance in the time, in a day. Mm -hmm. I see. Mm. Uh, for someone who would be interested in getting into the outdoor industry um, on their own, not as like a park ranger, what would be your advice to them? Getting into the outdoor industry, like in what such way? as yourself, and doing these kinds of events, or, or 
um, being a part of these events, for instance? Like, because there's no real clear, you know, submit a resume here or... I mean, to get a job doing this or yeah. something? Um, or to even host your own events. To so host your own events. Yeah. I guess it might be apples and oranges. But. Okay, yeah. Those are kind of different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I found the, the most critical thing to, like becoming like hosting events is is there's kind of there's well there's really two parts there's the work of like organizing logistics and operations you know and and implementation Mm -hmm. you know and that's has its own skill set and then there's another skill set which is kind of the marketing and Mm -hmm. networking to kind of get your race or your event out there Mm -hmm. um you know five ten years ago there were not a whole lot of running race trail race options um, and that scene has blown up quite a bit in the last decade, you know, and there's, it seems like every, you know, every year there's new opportunities and new destinations for people to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that would be the two things, like make sure you've got a solid operations, you know, skill set and staff to work with, you know, a good mm-hmm. group of friends and people that can help you kind of overcome those logistical hurdles and then have a pretty solid network or access to a network to get your you know, to promote and publicize your events. Yes. Is there a, uh, are there like running communities that people can find with their own cities? Is like, for instance, uh, people who would participate your, in your events locally, mm-hmm. like are there running groups here? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot. And, uh, usually those are things that are on like Facebook. Like, so if someone lived in a city, they could probably search, uh, trail running groups on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, every city is going to be a little different. So you know, there's, you know, the Pacific Northwest has a reputation for being a pretty active, oriented community. Um, so there's trail running groups all along the I-5 corridor from Portland all the way up through Vancouver. Um, lots of running shops, stores will kind of host groups. It's a pretty, I'd say it's a pretty socially um, accessible group. Mm-hmm. People are pretty easy to kind of like take on new people and include them in their group runs and very supportive too. Yeah, I've for sure. Noticed. Like in all of the races that I've ever ran, I've met a lot of friends and had a lot of support from people and people have given me great advice too. Like, yeah, I think the, I mean, there's definitely in the trail running community, there's definitely some really strong athletes and runners who, you know, are, are very focused on, um, kind of their times and their, their, Per, their PRs, their personal records, mm-hmm. and kind of trying to approach the podium. But I'd say that's, in my experience, that's kind of the minority of people. Mm-hmm. You know, the majority of people are, you know, are setting them as goal races. They want to spend, they want to spend more time outside. And uh, running is a great way to mm-hmm. be on trails and be outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, in the it's what common amount of people would tell me that. Um, people who who run like that that's like arduous right i mean i've even talked to through hikers and Uh uh, the through hikers let's say once they were done with it like it was suffering and when i talk to people who haven't like ran for these distances or even hiked for like long periods of time like power hiking or something their immediate thought is that it's arduous that like exhausting right uncomfortable um is there do you experience or people who run your events experience a certain level of satisfaction with discomfort? Like, hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, you guys are really talking about the pain cave, you know, mm-hmm. and suffering and, 
that's uh, I think that's inevitable. You know, when you're pushing yourself and kind of testing, exploring what your limits are. Mm-hmm. So, and would they experience that in an event like yours, or is it going to be inherently more casual? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that really depends on the person and what their goals are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, we have people that that are you know, that that are trying to run our courses and run them fast, mm-hmm. you know. And then we'll have people that are, you know, they're more than happy to stop in the middle and jump in the lake, and mm-hmm. that's great too. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think, I think some suffering is inevitable mm-hmm. on any of our trips, right? Um, you know, the the more the longer the trip, the the more difficult the trip, then the more the more you need to be trained up and have a solid base of fitness in order to suffer less. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even pushing your limits, even for your own your own sake, um, there's some level of satisfaction or reward there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like, the The thing that I, I like to think about is, is the stories that we like to tell are not always entirely pleasant. Like whether or not it's uh, you know you're in extreme snow conditions or something. I had a friend he was trapped in the snow for 48 days, mm-hmm. and that was the story that he tells. Right. Like ad nauseum. Right. And it, it's it reminds me of adventure. And I mean, you look at every every uh, adventure movie, for instance, and you always have that like pivotal moment, you know, of uncertainty. And I mean, that's exaggerated in drama yeah. and fiction. But uh, please don't. Uh, you have the peanut butter and jelly. It's exaggerated in fiction, but however, in real life, it, it plays out in like I'm tired or you know I'm hungry or well, when is the when is this going to be you know when are we going to get to the top? Yeah. For for instance, you know yeah. like I've and that's where I've realized that it's a very personal thing because it's not like am I going to get this you know and I don't know nine minute miles the whole way. It's can I make it to the end? Yeah. You have the peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> well, I think I think sort of the. You know, you're really kind of about talking about at that point. You're kind of talking about different types of fun. You know, you've got your type one fun, type two, type three fun. You know, type one you can get watching a movie on the couch, and that's great, and mm-hmm. it's all a laugh. You know, type two fun involves some work and suffering and challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, type three fun. You know, you know things start to hit the fan. There's some suffering involved. Type four fun is like really epic. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> and yeah. you're really putting yourself out there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so. In terms of our trips, you know, what we're, you know, we do a, we do 25 mile, well, I've got 25K up along Ross Lake. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty much solid type two fun. Like, it's beautiful. Like, you can, there's not a big climbing on, on that. Um, and then we do, we do a, you know, essentially a, a 93 mile trip around Mount Rainier on the Wonderland Trail. And, you know, that gets into type three where, like, you're you're a long ways out there. You're covering a big distance. There's significant elevation gain. You're dealing with you know you have to have your systems really dialed in terms of your hydration and your food and and um, you know things can go wrong out there. Mm-hmm. You know and they can you can be exposed. Right? We're not. So I mean, for the the hardcore adventurer, they're probably going to do our trips on their own. You know. Um, but I think there's people, particularly people who are coming from a you know, trail racing background who are used to having flags and, you know, and having a bit more structure to their run. You know, I think we meet, we meet kind of a, an intermediate ground there where we provide a safety net in which a person who's new to the mountains but is, a, you know, a runner can 
can experience traveling in wild spaces, mm. um, mm -hmm. knowing that someone's there to get their back if, they go, if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. you know? that makes sense. And that can be a, a platform for someone to then go off and do their own trips, which is awesome. Yeah. So. It almost reminds me of for like in the hunting industry when you do guided hunts, mm -hmm. because you're essentially teaching someone all the skills and you know, all oh, your yeah. years of knowledge and preparing them if they want to go on their own, then it's a good leaping off point. Totally. Is there ever like a, have you ever had a really difficult moment during one of your adventures, uh, whether it's solo or with one of your events? Like uh, me personally or yeah, one of the clients? No, you personally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had some suffering moments, you know. Mm -hmm. how, how did you, uh, how did you cope with those moments? Like, is there any standout um, techniques that you used? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, most of my kind of like epics were kind of when I was younger and kind of college doing a lot of like alpine climbing and, and um, you know, I, I've, hmm. I mean, everything is a story, I guess, mm -hmm. but like, I think... Well, I think I think it's really important to like be really clear. Like, I think it's really easy to, for people to get in over their heads mm -hmm. going into the mountains, right? I think I think that you know our media or our the images, the glossy magazines, like make it really easy to be like, oh, look at that person doing that epic climb or that big long distance run, and it's really easy to write down fifty miles you know, and like 20,000 feet of elevation gain or something. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that looks really, you know, that kind of gets normalized in, our, I think, our outdoor media. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, that those are things people really need to kind of like learn to appreciate and test and test their limits on, mm -hmm. you know. So, like, when I was in college, like, I was putting up first descent kind of technical rock and alpine, rock and alpine, like rock and ice alpine climbs. And, um, you know, things can get really dicey really fast, but, you know, you, you learn to kind of recognize what are the parameters of your skill set, the weather windows, the conditions that allow you to kind of step into that inherently risky space mm -hmm. confidently. So, so, you know, and then, you know, each person kind of figures out where they're going to play that edge in terms of like how much are they going to push their limits of their knowledge and their capacity. So, you know, most people get into trouble when, you know, they push that too quickly, too far, too fast, mm -hmm. you know, or there's something else that comes into play, some sort of weather or other conditions that, or injury that, oh, now I'm having to deal with, a, you know, I hadn't planned for this, this challenge. Mm -hmm. So, so those experiences I, I've had often, um, to the point where I'd go out and like, oh yeah, I can do 15 miles, and this is just my uh, backpacking days, right? Uh -huh. And I quickly realized that it was a lot harder than I thought, and a lot more. It wasn't all just I had rose-colored glasses. Yeah, right? I, I thought that it was just going to be like I was going to see these beautiful animals. Please stop, butter. I'm going to put it away, okay? Um, I was going to see these beautiful animals, right? And like I was going to wake up, drink coffee, and. I didn't anticipate like the um, the amount of uh, difficulty or discomfort that that was in it, and I didn't prepare myself for it at all. And yeah. like I would spend the next three years like 
almost obsessed in the off seasons of trying to prepare myself and somehow be able to do this in a, in a way where I didn't either find myself in trouble or I wasn't just miserable the whole time. Uh-huh. And that level of like problem solving was very engaging for me. Um, were any of the, the skills and the principles that you've learned in your, uh, your mountaineering or your running experiences, have they... Uh, have you been able to use those in your everyday life? Yeah. I mean, some of it's cliche stuff, you know. Um, I think, I mean, you know, life is, I think, you know, people are kind of looking for, there's all sorts of great philosophies and theories and self-help books and, you know, like and people geek out on that and it's great and there's a lot to learn and I think there's a lot of nuance to that in terms of becoming a better person mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I think the lessons I've learned you know from climbing so I don't want to like over philosophize mm-hmm. my experience you know because I, I think at the end of the day it's more simple than complicated which mm-hmm. is you know I think there's a there's a there's a discipline and an appreciation that comes with being an athlete that spends time in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So that discipline, you know, is connected to, you know, you know, being really clear about setting goals and going to the gym and getting your training runs and and being disciplined. You mm-hmm. know, and that requires that's work. You know, when yeah. the when the alarm goes off at five thirty in the morning, and you're like, "Oh crap, I got to get to the gym, and I got to be running out the door in ten minutes." Like, mm-hmm. to do that consistently requires discipline. Yeah. So, that like that in a lot of ways, that just kind of becomes a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of your, in terms of like being connected to your goals and figuring out the steps you have to do to get there. Mm-hmm. In terms of other lessons, I think there's a huge amount of like just appreciation that comes from being outside, mm-hmm. especially traveling to beautiful places. It's you, I know they're inspiring, mm-hmm. you know, and so that sense of beauty, that sense of scale, that sense of grandeur, you know, that that becomes part of who you are over time, and you mm-hmm. carry that with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd say probably the other the other lessons, you know, that are maybe not so cheesy and cliche just really comes down to like you know at the end of the day the people you're with are really important you know and so surrounding yourself with people who are supporting you in your healthy goals who will suffer with you who will share in that beautiful sunrise with you you know those relationships are are really valuable and really meaningful Mm, so Mm, I've the bonds that I've formed with people, uh, I guess through hard shared experiences that are difficult and at the same time or even at different times fulfilling is unlike anything else that I've ever experienced and I don't want to dramatize that. Yeah. Um, however, my family, we just do very surface level things, you know, Thanksgiving and stuff like that and very topical conversations like how's the weather you know how's your kids doing and it never really would go beyond that and I've experienced other groups of individuals who are kind of in the same boat and even with their friends for that matter however in these experiences and other experiences as well that that either push you to your limits or or you're exploring your own interests right painting is another one you get to meet people in in a place and you get to understand each other at a whole nother level I think 
Sure. Beyond those topical conversations. Four minutes. Four minutes. <laughs> Have you been able to share these experiences with your kids, or is this something that you keep separate? Oh no, yeah, no, my kids are great. So yeah, we go backpacking trips in the Chuckanuts. I've done bike touring with my kids. I've done multi-day kind of kayaking, canoeing trips. Mm. You know, yeah. And that's. Do Do you approach uh, like you regularly train as a runner, correct? Uh-huh. And do you approach your running, uh, the training, and Bellingham, do you approach the training to your running with the same level of, uh, like, ease, right? Like, you're not trying to get faster, you're just trying to enjoy running? Like, what does your training look like? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of experiment with it every year, it seems like. You know, I kind of have a, I kind of try and take an arc to what I'm doing in the sense that I use... I use the winter time to kind of really be disciplined and build my running capacity. Um, you know that a lot of that training happens through kind of the dark and dreary months, but I find that kind of keeps me sane and and uh, through the winter time. Um, it's easier to get up earlier in the morning when it's dark at night, so I go to bed earlier than I wake up earlier, and so that's a cycle that kind of like works really well. And then you know that lasts for a few months, and then. And I do, so I'm, I blend that with other strength training work that I do. But then, you know, coming into now, it's now, you know, once the springtime starts hitting and, you know, trails start opening up, like right now, that kind of starts shifting a little bit. So rather than being as, like, disciplined on, like, my weekly goals and weekly runs, like I'm trying to, you know, have objectives that I'm trying to tick off. So, like... You know, last weekend I did 50K in the mountains. I'll do a marathon tomorrow. Um, you know, I'm going to go climb Rainier on Monday. I'm going to climb Baker, like, the following Friday. You know, so I've, like, so now I've got this, like, foundation of fitness that's, like, all right, let's go play. Mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm less concerned about, like, oh, man, did I get 20 miles? Did I get my long run in? Did I get, you know, my training st- stats, like, psh- I don't really care about that once the sun's out and the trails are melting out. It's about, like, okay, make sure I've got enough rest in between trips to to go out and have fun. And did your perspective on the trips itself, did that change over time from the time you started going out into the mountains to now? Or were you always this gleeful? What was the word you used? Uh, gleeful. Gleeful? Excited. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think at different times in my life I've been... I've had different goals. Like I've had different goals, you know, as like, you know, I, when I backpacked a lot, I had backpacking goals and I was climbing, I had climbing goals, you know, like as, you know, as a runner, I've got, you know, I mean, I, I think running is one of the more simple ways to experience the mountains, mm-hmm. to be totally honest. Really? Know? Yeah. Uh, why so? Well, it's not super technical, right? You don't need a bunch. You don't have to be a really proficient skier. You don't have to be a really proficient climber. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's pretty simple in the way that, like, you know, you if you've got your food and your water and you can go, yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas like if you're trying to do, you know, a skiing ascent or a climbing ascent or you know, even riding your bike, you know, you've got all these other layers of, 
layers of equipment that you have to kind of be managing and, and working out with and mm-hmm. you know like I you know going for a run in the mountains is pretty simple mm-hmm. I, that's the thing I liked about it I was at a point where I was uh, had a very low budget uh-huh. and well if, if I go to concerts right which I love concerts the, I didn't have money to go to concerts anymore and I, I couldn't do all these things that were more pay to play however running and day hiking where they were accessible. All I yeah. had to do was afford some gas and, you know, a parking pass and shoes. And I should be good. And You're set to go. Yeah. yeah. Instead of, you know, the, the getting a big tent and all of those things. Almost done. And, and it was very liberating for me because even when I go out there now, it's, it's just pure. It's like, and it's, it's fun because I will climb, uh, there's a place here that's uh, Oyster Dome, right? Mm-hmm. And that that mountain i think it's like five miles round trip from an overlook and, and it's pretty steep but when i go up it you know the first time and i'm actually out of breath from walking it and then years later i can like power hike and run it mm-hmm. it's like this is really cool and i'm yeah, seeing totally. my body adapt to all of this and, and more places are becoming open to me and i don't have to take the time off of work even here like you have the ability to do it almost every weekend yeah i think that's a big part of it too you know like i've got kids and so being able to go do, we'll go on a family camping trip and I'll wake up early and I'll go to run, you know, go climb a summit or do a loop or, you know, I'll go do 20 miles and mm-hmm. I'll be back for lunch. And, you know, basically they've just woken up and been hanging around camp and mm-hmm, yeah, I just did 20 miles in the mountains and <laughs> like, let's eat lunch and then go hang out by the lake. It's I like great. <laughs> you know, so then I got one last question for sure. you before we wrap it up. Um, it's a bit of a problem that I have. What kind of shoes do you use? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that really depends on the person. I yes, it does. You know, I, I feel like the best shoe is the shoe that doesn't hurt you. Mm. Meaning, like if you're not getting, if you're if you're getting injured, you probably should shift and change things up. Um, I run in ultras. You know, I've got kind of lone peaks and temps, but it's a zero drop, kind of more open room for my toe and that works out really well on like established trails you know if a trail is more rocky and technical then i'll go something with a narrower toe box mm-hmm. that really gives me a little bit more like so i can so my foot doesn't slide around a more technical terrain i'm thinking of uh something similar as when rock climbing you use a rock climbing shoes that essentially cramp your foot into almost a triangle that makes yeah. sense so you have better control yeah, I mean, the the climbing analogy would be, like, you wear a different shoe when you're sport climbing than when you're trad climbing. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. if you're going to be in your shoes all day on a long, moderate route, mm-hmm. you're going to give something. You still want purchase, but not as tight as your overhanging sport shoe. Okay. So, and I guess, you know, if it's a pretty smooth, well-maintained trail, you know, I think the ultras work out really well. Mm-hmm. If it's something more technical, I've got a couple pairs of Solomons that are a tighter toe box. But, like, I can be more precise in my footwork. Mm, makes sense. How often do you go through a pair of shoes? Depends on the shoe. I'm um, looking at three months for between uh, Vibram Five Fingers, Merrill Vapor Gloves, and Ultras. Uh-huh. But I just think I got fat feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on how much mileage you're going. I find different shoes blow out faster than others. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the shoes I'm in, I just realized they're blown out, and I've been in them for probably two months. You know, other shoes, 
like hold up better mm -hmm. i'll get some more miles it kind of depends yeah there's no straight answer on that one uh where can people uh learn about your upcoming races or anything like that yeah aspiredventurerunning.com you know we've got a you know we've got a pretty great website with descriptions on all of our routes and descriptions you know some photos of what we do um, yeah, that's the best place to go. You can right. follow us on Facebook and Instagram and all those things too. Inspired but adventure running. Yep. All right, sweet. Check it out, y'all. Okay. Thanks. Buddy. Thanks. I appreciate it. Woo! Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Becoming Human podcast. Remember, if you'd like to hide that tinfoil hat or just like the colors red and blue, check out our flat bills on becominghumanpodcast.com. And you looking to get out in the backcountry? Well, I got something for you. Go and check out Abram Dickerson's organization, Aspire Adventure Running. By going to AspireAdventureRunning.com, I'll leave the link in the show notes. They host all sorts of backcountry adventures. And hey, you can even power hike through them. They're not timed. If you can cover at least a 19-minute pace or 19-minute per mile pace, you'll be fine. If you like this episode, go ahead and rate it. Review it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the website. Drop me a comment. Got suggestions? Ooh, leave a comment on this episode, and you might see him on here. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. I had fun with this one. Till next time.